Whenever people ask me what my uncle's voice sounded like, it's so hard to describe. Galen has plenty of acting clips, but they don't capture the way he talked. Kind of boyish and playful. Then there was his laugh. It was almost like a chuckle. When we were making this show, we cast an actor to play my Uncle Galen. And it took us so long to find the right person. No one matched up to my memory of him. At some point, someone suggested I check out the DVD extras for this 2006 movie he was in, called Rescue Dawn. It was actually his biggest acting role, opposite Christian Bale and Steve Zahn. The movie is about POWs in the Vietnam War, written and directed by Werner Herzog. Werner, he said, I want you to take a look at this character. He's a smuggler from Hong Kong. This, of course, is my Uncle Galen. Not acting, just being the lighthearted guy I always remembered. He's talking about the first time he met Werner Herzog. And I kind of told him my background, my history, and I said, well, I'm kind of experienced in both, you know, smuggling and Hong Kong. So I, I could tell the job was mine by the way he was smiling and everything. Galen, he's one of those cases where you instantly know that's him. No doubt in my heart for one second. After everything I've learned, it's still crazy to hear someone like Werner fucking Herzog one of the most iconic filmmakers of the last century, talk about what he saw in my uncle as an actor. Rescue Dawn is about a group of prisoners who spent years being tortured and starved before plotting their escape. The actors look so emaciated. The casting director told us that Galen was one of the last actors they hired. By then, it was two weeks till shooting. They'd run out of time for anyone else to lose weight. They needed a super thin guy now. When I got to Thailand and I showed up on set, they go, damn, this dude's skinny. And then they were really jealous because everyone was trying to get skinny as hell. But what they don't know is before I was filming in Thailand, I had renal failure, sepsis. My, my organs shut down. I was in the hospital and almost died. And I was like, oh man, am I gonna be able to shoot this thing? It's basically like pull my IVs out after a week and a half or something. I was just real weak and just, just trying to gain some weight back. So while all these dudes are like eating fruit and everything, when I get back to my hotel, I'm like eating, I'm eating like crazy, eating anything I wanna eat. And they were like starving. <laughs> and when you see his torso naked, you see that he has some strange shot of his torso missing. What actually happened is he was shot survived it, and he had a a very, very colorful life, to say the least. Galen did not get shot. I double-checked with my aunts and his friends from Oakland. Part of his torso was missing, though. He had cancer as a baby. He recovered, but got a kidney removed in the process. Werner was actually not the only person to have thought Galen got shot. A writer I talked to thought the same thing. So either they assumed Galen got shot, or Galen told them that. I could see my uncle doing that, cultivating his Hollywood mystique as a former gangster, the real deal. All of the actors in the DVD extras talk about how grueling the shoot was in the jungles of Thailand. There's footage of them trudging through the mud, all grimy and skinny. It does not look fun, but it must have been a meaningful time for Galen. His role in Rescue Dawn was huge for him. He played a fully fleshed-out character, 
central to the plot, with his own backstory. It was a key part in a film that critics raved about. And 10 years later, shortly before my uncle died, Galen told my aunts that he wanted his ashes spread in Thailand, where he spent those fateful two months shooting Rescue Dawn. The last time I saw my Uncle Galen was a few days before he died. It was September 2015. He'd gotten an infection in his blood. I wish I remembered that day, but to be honest, I can't tell you much. I still hadn't processed my mom's death from two years before, which is probably why all this got blocked out. I remember pulling into the hospital in LA, walking to the desk, writing my name down on the visitor sheet, getting into the elevator, and after that, nothing. I've never told my aunts, Esther and Joanne, how out of it I was back then. We didn't talk about what it was like when my mom was dying either, even though we all took care of her together. And they have no idea that for two years after she died, I didn't talk about it with anyone. I think Galen was a little like me, that there were a lot of things he never shared with our family. But when I think about his box of screenplays, sitting at Papa's all these years, I wanted my family to know what was in them, what weighed on Galen, what he poured into his writing. So I'm going back to Oakland to tell them. I'm Maya Lynn Sugarman. This is Magnificent Jerk, the true story of a fake story about a real life. Episode 7, now showing. Press record. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. And we can pause anytime. I went with our producer, James Kim, to Joanne's house. My two aunts sat on the couch, and I sat across the room in a chair. It's been like almost over two years now. I've just been curious, like, what the evolution of your feelings have been around me working on this. I I know we've had some concerns about the title. Yeah. From the start, my Auntie Joanne never liked the title. Neither of my aunts did. They hated the word jerk because they never thought of Galen that way. Or the fact that he's a failed actor. I don't think he's failed because he's his his list of um, movies have are long. Yeah, it's a long list. I had no idea. And uh, we're just wondering how that story will come across. Yeah, to be honest, yeah. Sitting there, I was nervous. Because as much as I wanted my aunts to know what Galen had been writing about all those years, it also mean I'd have to bring up some stuff that might be hard for them to hear. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. My plan was to walk them through how Galen's writing served as a roadmap for me. Yeah, it's taught me a lot. Like, just about, like, the life that he lived. Like, I just, it's... And the struggles he faced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the struggles all of you guys faced, honestly. Him the most, though, I think, of the four of us. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Health, no father figure, yeah. Yeah. It was so hard. Everything was so hard for him. 
But my aunts told me it was hard for Papa, too, to outlive two of her children, to be a mother to Galen during his most troubled years. I wanted to show them what I'd discovered, how I think Galen knew he'd messed up his relationship with Papa, and he put it all into his screenplays. There's a lot of scripts that have, like, a character's, like, fraught relationship with their mother, where, like, the character tries to, like, communicate I love you, but, like, does not get that back from the mother. Um, There are, like, multiple different reasons why in the different versions, but they're all kind of boiled down to that idea. Oh, especially Asian, huh? Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of cultural. I mean, yeah. If he was seeking that from her, no, she's not one to say, I love you, I'm proud of you, Yeah, you know? It brought up a memory for my Auntie Esther of those last days of Galen's life when he was in the hospital in L.A. They'd brought Papa to visit him one last time. And it started when she walked into the room. Yeah, He looked at her adoringly with his eyes very soulful, and he said, Mommy. He didn't say, hi, Mom, or hey. He said, Mommy. Galen wasn't well. He spent much of his life in hospitals, and whatever it was, he always somehow just barely survived. But this time must have felt different enough that our whole family came down to L.A. to see him. So I remember, yeah, we were walking, leaving the room of Galen in the hospital, and, and then he, he said, I love you. She said, Wow. Saying I love you means a lot to all you ABCs. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You ABCs. That just seemed so papa. She said blunt stuff like that all the time, even though all her kids and grandkids are American-born Chinese. What did papa say to Galen after he said I love you when she was walking out? Did she say I love you back? I'm not sure. She says that ABCs put a lot of emphasis on those three words. She goes, I don't say those three words. I show it. Hmm. Hmm. Do you guys say it now? I do. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah. Did your mom say it? No, I do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 To Esther and Joanne, it was always clear how much Galen loved Papa and how much he wanted her approval. Joanne told me a story I'd never heard about the time Galen was shooting the Pierce Brosnan show, Noble House. Instead of going first class to Hong Kong for Noble House, he changed his ticket into two economy class so that Paul Paul could go with him. He wanted to share that. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Did he he bring her? Yeah, they went together. When he got sick and lost his, had the holes perforated. She was there so that she could experience some of what his, his life was. And, and that probably made him feel proud for like yeah. a short and very rare thing. For and then him. it is really unfortunate that he got so sick there. I guess in Hong Kong, when he had the perforated ulcer, instead of mending it, they just cut his stomach in half. Oh. So after that, he couldn't have full meals. That's right. And he got very skinny. You're right. Yeah. God, I, I did not know that. I don't remember these things. Like, I, I knew he had gotten the ulcer, but I didn't know that. There. I had he for, collapsed in I the had shower. Forgotten. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And I forgot who the actor was. Oh. Pierce Brosnan? Yeah, he was oh. really nice and very nice to Paul Paul. 
checking on him and stuff. Oh, yeah. wow. wow. I didn't know that all that so stuff. Pop, pop, wait, Papa met Pierce Brosnan? I believe oh. so, yeah. <laughs> In Hong Kong? Papa wouldn't know who Pierce Brosnan is. <laughs> Some white, tall white guy. My aunts knew I'd done a lot of reporting these last two years. They knew I'd met a lot of people from Galen's past. Some I even found with their help. James and I decided to play them some clips. I started with the person they knew best, Edmund Hong, Galen's childhood friend. We talked about how he used to share a bicycle with Galen, the innocence between them. Giant, clunky bicycle. And Ed, I guess Edmund said he was like kind of like an overweight kid, like a chubby kid. And how things changed once they became teenagers. Like how Edmund said Galen was kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when he drank alcohol. That he could be goofy and playful or get red and violent. Okay, so I'm going to play the clip. I'll just say like, the, I think this was like towards the Soy Singh era once he had started um, hanging out with this other um, gangster guy. And then I can like explain who that guy was after this. Galen for some reason took a gun and put it to my head. Oh. And it was loaded, you know, just as a joke, but you know, why he did it, I don't know. Hmm. You know, to show off in front of the other people there, he wanted to impress Tom Tom or what. Hmm. He didn't impress Tom Tom. Wow, that's something. I couldn't tell if they knew about the side of their brother. It seemed like Esther was taking it in, not sure what to make of it. So I kept going, trying to give them some context. For the next half hour, I told them everything I'd learned about Galen's gang life in Oakland Chinatown, starting with Tom Tom, the enigmatic leader of the Soy Sing Boys. Yeah, and it wasn't safe for him anymore, so he came to Oakland. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. Is he, like, similar in age to Galen and Gordon? He was slightly older. And about Galen's friend Anna, the woman he loved and left behind in Oakland, and who he wrote into his screenplay. But basically, I I found her, and I didn't realize she was a real person, or, like, that that name was based on a real person. And so I found her, like, a year ago. We talked about the fact that Galen worked as a pimp. And it turned out, Joanne already knew. Esther didn't. I told them the things in Galen's screenplay that I'd been able to verify as real, like his drug addiction, which seemed like the whole family knew about, even Papa. Do you think she knew he was doing drugs? She never verbalized it, but she certainly could smell it. (laughs) Yeah. Was there anything about funny face um, punch in there? Yeah. Wait, Kool-Aid? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that in yeah. there, Groofy yeah. Grape? Yeah, <laughs> we're going to play it for you right now. You know what your ex, Janine, called me? A cocor. Kool-Aid flavor of the month. Slant eye strawberry. I felt like kicking her ass. She's fucking Goofy Grape or Loudmouth Lime. <laughs> Oh, my God. Wait, what? Why did you ask that? Because he would call me when on certain things and go, Joanne, do you remember what they named the flavor that was grape? I go, Goofy Grape. 
So he, he would, would call me all the time. He would call you when he's writing. Yeah. When he was writing. Yeah. And he would call me for like reference oh, material. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He'd... All the time. Then we got to one scene in Galen's screenplay that I'd been wanting to ask them about. When Billy recalls a memory of visiting his father's grave. It's a story just like one my mom once told my dad when she'd gone with my uncle to visit their father's tombstone. And Galen wandered off to another grave and cried. We used to visit his grave every year. God, I wanted to cry so bad. When I was 19, we went to pay our respect. I walked down from my dad's plot, and there was this tombstone. It was a guy I killed. He was gunning for me, so I killed him. I went back to my dad's plot and I cried so hard. <laughs> my mom and sisters, they looked so happy. <laughs> I've never been back. Can't. I remember that day at the cemetery. Mm. I remember that day. I couldn't believe it. Joanne was there too. And she and my mom never talked about it. I told Joanne that James and I went to the cemetery to see if we could find the grave that Galen talks about in the screenplay. Yeah. I walked around there too. You walked around there too. A That's bit. crazy that you walked around there too. But I really didn't want to discover anything. Yeah. What, you, how come? I would hate that he would do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could see my aunts doing the same math I've been doing for over two years, trying to understand what's real in the script and what was just embellished. I don't know what to think of it. I mean, yeah, because I don't. We don't know if it's fact or fiction or yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a break. Esther grabbed a snack, and Joanne washed some dishes. As she stood at the sink, she told me before this interview that there were three things she wondered if I'd bring up. The first was that day at the cemetery. The second was the time Galen spent working as a pimp. But there was one last thing she was waiting for. She turned to look at me and said, Golden Gate Park. It was a story Galen mentioned to her offhand once, a murder from the 70s. I think that's... I think that someone was hung there. Hmm. I don't know you know, his participation or what, but that someone was hung there. But. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Joanne said Galen didn't tell her as a confession. He didn't say he was a part of it, but it stayed with her. In my research into the gang wars, I hadn't seen that story. 
There was one unsolved murder I could think of that involved a park, but it wasn't Golden Gate Park. It was the Presidio, where the body of a young Chinese man was found beaten and hogtied. He'd been strangled to death. At the time, the cops had several theories on the case. Some involved Tom Tom's Oakland gang, but there was nothing definitive. Maybe this was the murder Joanne was talking about, and she or Galen just misremembered the details. Maybe Galen had nothing to do with it. I'll never know. But what became clear was that Joanne's held on to this worry for decades, and it put into perspective the fears I've had these past two years. Do you, did you expect to find all these things when, in, when this whole thing started? Not at no, all. No, I didn't. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about the gang wars. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know what the soy sing was. I think it took me a little while to even know what that meant. I didn't even realize there were like murders involved in it, let alone that there were like unsolved murders from that time. It's uh, something you probably didn't consider. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think I... Would. have to cross this bridge. Then our producer, James, jumps in with a question. Are there things in particular that are, I guess, more alarming for you in this podcast than other things, mm. or is it just... Well, yeah, I would say, you know, when you talk about murder, killings, pimping, mm-hmm. of course those are alarming to me. You know, it's not something I or family or would be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even for, you know, my sons, because, you know, they read that stuff too. She's never told her sons before. It would be safer if you just wrote a screenplay (laughs) and make it fictional. Someone already did that. (laughs) I know. I know. And then it got westernized. Those are my concerns. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, and we don't even know. We don't know. He talks about it. Is it him? Is it Crazy Six? Is it the group of them? Is it, you know, is, is it, it real? Is it not? Is yeah. it dramatized? Is it acting? You know? Is it impressing yeah. people? Like, say, the pimping. Was it as extensive as some may lead you to believe? Yeah, or was it no minimal? Idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Like from what I recall, it was minimal. But I don't know what I didn't see, you yeah. know? When you think of the pimping, what do you picture? I think the thing that was hardest for me to imagine, I guess, was just really hoping he, like, treated the women who worked for him well. Like, I think it was really hard for me to learn that because we come from a family of women. Like, that was why it was so shocking to me. They were old Chinese men. Wait, what do you mean? The customers. Oh, the customers. Were old Chinese men. Old? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Gee, and I thought the worst thing that would be said about him was failed actor. Yeah. Now that sounds like nothing. (laughs) Are you in any danger for finding all these things? I mean, I think this happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That's the Chinese worry. I know. I mean, I think yeah. 
I don't Do you know. think it's, Galen would want this to come to light? I don't think so. Do you mean, are you talking about the pimp stuff specifically? Everything. Or everything? Everything. I think that's, I guess it's very, that's what weighs on me so much is like, I don't. I know it must weigh I on don't you. know. It I have must, no idea. I'm like so exhausted all the time, like thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Every time Sorry. I. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been conflicted for a while? I've always, yeah, I've always been conflicted. Oh. And we don't want to see you. I wish I never gave anxiety you this stuff. about it or oh, God. pressure about this either. I know. Well, I feel like sometimes, like it's my fault that I'm pursuing this. You know, your fault. Your fault. Yeah. What do you I mean, mean? Like I didn't have to do this. No, you didn't <laughs> have to do this. Um, oh. What you've learned and what you're doing, has it met what you were hoping to seek? <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't really want to do a story about like my uncle potentially being a pimp I or know. maybe murdering someone. I mean, like the story I really wanted to tell was about my mom. It was not about this. Your mom what? She wanted the story to be about her mom. Yeah. Yeah. But... Oh, it just so happened Galen lived a very dramatic life that oh. <laughs> is uh, worth being a documentary. <laughs> what weighs on me isn't um, the uh, inner conflict I feel around it. What weighs on me is like whatever decision I make like might be the one that like makes the rest of my family like hate me. Oh, you know, your family would never hate you. Period. Your family would never hate you. <sighs> never. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Can you tell this story? without us being in it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got from this? <laughs> hey, you know what? His name, I'm in it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 With his name, I'm in it. Joanne was right. With his name, they were in it. And I realized that that's what it's always meant, to be Galen's sister, to be his mother. I wanted to tell them why I felt compelled to learn all of Galen's story, even the bad. I guess I just think a lot about what you talked about, how when he was dying, there were things he wanted to say. And I always, like, feel so bad for him because I wish, like... At least one person, like maybe me, I could have said, like, you can tell me, like, it's okay. And, like, I'll hold it for you. So I guess that's what I'm trying to do. That's what you're doing. Yeah, and so I guess I hope that um, if other people can hear it, that they'll all hold a little bit of it, too. 
After five hours, we wrapped up the interview and turned off the mics. Later that night, Joanne texted me. It was 10 p.m., and she'd been researching more about the gang wars. She'd even found some of the same articles I'd read. I asked her if she wanted to go to the cemetery tomorrow, without a recorder, to look for that grave Galen once cried over. She said, yes. We didn't find anything. But as we walked up and down the same rows of headstones I once walked before, I felt relief that this time I wasn't alone. We ready? We're going to walk down the hallway. Yeah. They're going to think that we're going to the red carpet. No. Yeah. <laughs> kind of are. Everyone got everything? A week after talking with my aunts, they came down to L.A. because something so unbelievable happened. You'd think it was fiction. A theater near me in Los Angeles put on a screening of Crazy Six. It was part of a retrospective for the director, Albert Pune. I'm pretty sure this would be the first time Crazy Six ever got shown in a theater. And it was happening 15 minutes from my house. I called it Galen's premiere. And so people, maybe they'll stay after Crazy Six. Maybe we'll get some. Because they heard there's going to be cookies. When we walked into the lobby, the first thing we saw was the original poster for Crazy Six. Whoa, it's signed by Ice-T. It was glowing inside a gold frame with Art Deco font that said, now showing. There's his name. Where is it? Right there. You see it? Yeah, I see it. Wow, it's so crazy seeing it on the wall. Joanne got up close and took a picture. Not of the faces of Rob Lowe, Ice-T, and Burt Reynolds, but of the words written by Galen Ewan. It'll be interesting to see how many people are in there. I know. I'm very curious. Have you gone in yet? No. Oh, okay. They really do have popcorn. It's a theater. When we walked into the theater, I was shocked to see there were actually people there. I mean, the event organizer, American Cinematheque, does have a loyal fan base. They've been screening cult classics in L.A. for almost 40 years. But I'm not sure these film buffs knew what they were getting into. I don't know much. I know that they're going to be in Europe for a bit. I know maybe there's a little bit of drugs involved. I mean, like, I know that Rob Lowe's in it. I don't know if that, like, necessarily appealed to me. I know um, Ice-T is in it, and that's about it. I've heard it's crazy. Hence the title, Crazy Six, so six of something. Expectations are very low. <laughs> I heard it has political allegory, so I'm just here for that. That's what, yeah, that's what she's big on that political allegory. I really love movies that look good, and I don't care about bad writing or bad acting, so I'm really, I think this movie's going to be great. I happen to have a VHS. You have it on VHS? Yeah. So I found it at like an estate sale and I was like, oh yeah, I'll buy this VHS for a dollar. What'd you think? It's a hell of a thing. <laughs> oh, hi! I saw Paul Rosenblum, the Filmworks producer who read Galen's script and wanted to make it into a movie. 
Can I introduce you to my family? Or Hi, how are you? Paul, this is my Auntie Joanne. Hi. And this is my Auntie Esther. So Hello, how do you do? How do you oh, do? What a pleasure Oldest to meet you. Wow. and youngest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Paul was um, one of the producers of Crazy Six. Wish, wish your brother were here with us tonight. Then George Meridian walked in, the cinematographer. The last time I saw him, he and I sat in his living room and watched the crop version of Crazy Six. Now he was about to see it in its original widescreen format, the way he intended it. Hi, I'm George. I tried to put Galen's words to, to visuals, to images. It was, uh, you'll, you'll see what I did. Yeah. Uh, I'm George. And that round of applause was also for yourselves for making it out here at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. Thank you so, so much. Yes, for Albert Finn. The lights dimmed. The sound of the projector filled the room. And on came the title card for Filmworks. One of the first credits to flash across the screen was My Uncle's, written by Galen Ewan. Galen! This was all I wanted. To hear people sit in a dark movie theater and cheer for my uncle. Right? You know, six guys with the paper, three with the product, right? Watching it this way, I started to notice that some of the acting was actually pretty good. My favorite scenes are the ones between Burt Reynolds and Ivana Milicevic. They've got a believable father-daughter vibe. I've decided the world is divided into two parts. Those that like Neil Diamond and those that don't. I don't. I love Neil Diamond. You what? I have some questions I have to ask you. As parts of the frame I'd never seen before revealed themselves, Gone were the claustrophobic close-ups. George had achieved what he wanted. I could see Galen's words come alive. I saw the pain he was trying to capture. And I could tell Rob Lowe really was trying to bring humanity to Billy's character. Albert! When they open up, I want you to check them out real good. Make it look like you don't trust them. But I mean, it's still not a good movie. For a long time, I was determined to tell the story my Uncle Galen never got to tell. To find some sort of redemption for him. But what I didn't expect was what Galen would do for me. Because as difficult as it was to finally talk with my aunts about my uncle's past, talking about Galen brought us together. My aunts had always been there. I just didn't know how to let them in. And as each year passed after my mom died, it got harder and harder to explain how I felt. How do you sum up every single emotion of the last 10 years? Sometimes it's easier to start with someone else's life before talking about your own. Do you want popcorn? Do you want popcorn? Hmm? Do you want popcorn? No. Oh. Do you? Yeah, I'm eating it, but I'm eating all of it. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> the movie ended. The house lights faded up, and I asked Auntie Joanne what she thought. 
glad I saw it. You're glad you saw it? Yeah. I'm glad, yeah. I, saw I'm glad I saw it. Me yeah. too. I'm very glad yeah. that I saw it. And I'm glad I saw it in widescreen. As we file out of the theater, Auntie Esther looks every nearby moviegoer in the eye. Thank Absolutely. you for coming. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It was very good. His life was so hard. Yeah. I mean, there's all these wonderful looking people and they came. Yeah. So they must see something that blind people can't see. That's us. Because mm. we're just like family. <laughs> God. Oh, sorry. Good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling all over the place. Well, just like in this, yeah, no, this has been like, it's like very surreal that it's been, the whole night's been very surreal. It was midnight. The theater started to close and the crazy six poster and the lobby got taken down. They ushered us out onto the street. They really kicked us out. <laughs> As we stood outside, we laughed, we talked, we lingered, and the marquee lights shut off. A couple months later, I finally talked with Auntie Joanne about my mom, about how painful it was to take care of her, how lost I was after she died. Turns out, I didn't hide it very well back then. Joanne said I seemed robotic, that our family worried about me. They didn't know how to bring it up. I told her, neither did I. As I hung up the call, I remembered that day two years ago, sitting with my aunts on Papa's living room floor. When I started recording, I thought it was to recover the people I'd lost. But I know now, it was to remind me of who I have left. Magnificent Jerk is an Apple original podcast produced by Pineapple Street Studios. It's written and hosted by me, Maya Lynn Sugarman. Our senior producers are James Kim and Eric Menel. Our producers are Melissa Akiko Slaughter and Maria Robbins Somerville. Our editors are Darby Maloney and Joel Lovell. Our senior engineers are Davy Sumner and Marina Pais. Mixing by Davy Sumner. Original music by Hannes Brown and Matthew Wong. Pineapple's head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Production assistance from Grace Chen, Himia Freeman, Gabe Kulugale, Liz O'Malley, and Kristen Torres. Our cover art is by Joan Wong. Language and translation help from Judy Lay. It's All in the Game was written by Galen Ewan. The fiction in this episode is performed by Jesse Kwai and Carolyn Ken. Special thanks to Ellen Connell, Pat Masidi Miller, Yowei Shaw, Stuart Sugarman, and Aaron Williams. James Kim and I are executive producers. The executive producers from Pineapple Street are Jenna Weiss Berman and Max Linsky. Thanks for listening. <laughs>